welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Ahoy hoy. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 8, Episode 17, which is titled Bygones. I don't know why that just sounded so weird. It's because it it's wasn't immediately a... followed by uh, be, Bygones be Bygones. Something like that, maybe, I don't know. Uh, the episode aired on March 28th. 2002 lauren what was going on that way 21 years ago uh headlines wrestlemania 18 which is lizzie's favorite takes place in toronto ontario canada that's a mouthful uh notable matches include the rock versus hulk hogan uh the undertaker versus rick flair uh stone cold steve austin versus scott hall okay and the main event which saw triple h defeat chris jericho to win the wwf undisputed championship yeah that sounds okay in one of the best matches i've ever seen <sighs> wait, oh, wait i hold, hold on which one show uh, your work <laughs> the um main event no no <laughs> I, elizabeth i like that i, I love that elizabeth match. that interminable <laughs> that interminable snooze fest it's a nostalgia thing and i thought the story was built up beautifully i don't know uh, I, I need, like, a gif of Daniel's face as you said that. Just <laughs> Like, for a second, I was like, oh, she must be talking about Rock Hogan. That has to be what she's talking about. And then No, then that she... match is boring as fuck. Lizzie, is it, is it, this is a two-match show, and, like, it's it's Rock Hogan and, and Taker Flair. Those are the only two you need. The rest are just, like, <laughs> booty, cheeks, whatever the kids say these days. Like, the rest of that show is completely forgettable except for those two matches. Uh, excuse you, you don't remember all the interludes with the hardcore title? Yeah, where... Being won uh, by Spike Dudley, Mighty Molly, The Hurricane, is that Crash the, Holly. Is it The Hurricane or Goldust? I can't remember. It's one of the two that uh, has the like the Austin Powers gag with the shovel behind the... the there's like a screen in a women's locker room and he's like behind the curtain with a shovel in between his legs so it looks oh, like God. he has a photo. I it's 2002. Was, it's 2002. Okay, remind, way, me to, remind me to never watch 18. Holy shit, this sounds awful. Uh, a Beautiful Mind wins Best Picture at the 74th Academy Awards. Lizzie, we can't hear you. Uh, smash hit rea- No, 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 no. Smash hit, re- smash, shit. <laughs> smash hit reality TV series The Bachelor debuts over on ABC. The series revolves around a single bachelor who begins with a pool of romantic interests to whom he is expected to select a fiancé. I'm going to say from whom he is expected to select a fiancé. I literally Dur- just copy pasted. Yeah, from I know, the Wikipedia. and I and I'm gonna correct the person who wrote that in the wiki. Uh, during the course of the season, the Bachelor eliminates candidates each week, eventually culminating in a marriage proposal to his final selection. The show is still running as of this recording and is currently in its 27th season. I don't know how I can shit on this and watch Survivor. I so, don't know. but do you want to know how many? Out of, so out of 27, okay, 20, out of 26 finished seasons you want to know how many couples are still together three yeah Daniel, I, I, guess? I, I was gonna say maybe two yeah, two correct <laughs> two one from 2013 and one from like from like 2021 have they now uh, is this counting they... bachelorette too or just bachelor this is just bachelor okay have they done a gay bachelor or bachelorette at this I don't point think like so. have they done a season of the, the straights just can't uh it's that. called uh tila tequila is a shot at love because she's bisexual, so it was men and women competing. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. 
I'm just surprised Horrible that, human like, being, Tila Tequila. I'm just surprised that the more the deeper into the rainbow capitalism era we get, I'm surprised that not once has the uh, the OG recipe uh, Bachelor or Bachelorette not done a gay season. Pitch it to ABC. Go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, notable movie releases over the three-week break include Ice Age, The Time Machine, and Resident Evil. This week, though, Blade 2, the superhero sequel starring Wesley Snipes, Chris Christopherson, and Ron Perlman debuts and takes the box office crown. And Ain't It Funny, Murder Remix by Jennifer Lopez featuring Ja Rule is your new number one song. Daniel, what else? Oh, okay. Uh, Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One in Massapequa, a.k.a. The One with the Zesty Guy. Don't write them, just read them. Uh, okay. At 8.30, Leap of Faith with the episode The Baby Snugglers. At 9 p.m., Will and Grace with Cheatin' Trouble Blues. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with Educating Finch. This week's episode had 24.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Jessica Yu during her one and only episode as a director. Uh, she also has directed for the TV series Billions, 13 Reasons Why, and This Is Us, among many, many others. Uh, and written by the duo of Elizabeth Hunter and Meredith Steam. Uh, Elizabeth, both of them are closing out their runs as writers with this episode. Elizabeth doing her fourth out of four. Previous one of hers from this season include was uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And uh, Meredith's uh, sixth out of six, and her previous ones from this uh, season include I'll Be Home for Christmas and Supplies and Demands. All right. Uh, our previously on this week is brought to us by Romano. And just some somber music to kind of set the mood, set the tone, haha, um, if you will. And Corday gets a wake up call in her hotel room, and a neat, there's kind of a neat transition over to a uh, the bathroom and over with Mark shaving at their house and kind of, kind of, kind of nicks himself there. Oh. Shaving. Kind of gross. Been there. Uh, and then it goes back to Corday with Ella and the, and the babysitter arriving. We learned Mark has already paid the sitter for the month. So, uh, and then back to Mark with Rachel. He looks like a man with brain cancer, like absolute hell. Oof. So we are, yeah, just I don't wanna. But well, we gotta. I know. <laughs> uh, and then we see Corday commuting to work, and she sees Mark ahead of her on the stairs down from the yell, and she slows down to avoid him. Yep. And we are in with bangs, which seems like an odd choice, but okay. It was. It, it felt like the entire opening scene there that it was building towards twinkles. Like right. It, it felt like it was building towards that, and it like kept building and kept building and kept building, and then it was like, nope, just kidding banks like it was just a very uh tonally mismatched uh example there so absolutely uh but then we go over to lizzie does not see surgeries on her schedule anymore uh, romano has put her down on trauma rotation because he's sick of covering it and she hasn't presumably been down there since she and mark started fighting really uh, mark is examining a woman who got lightheaded while bird watching uh, we learn that she is prone to panic attacks, according to her husband, Paul. And they rescued some duck eggs. Aww. Meep, meep. Uh, and our couple here are bird watchers, Joanne and Paul. Joanne is played by actress Clea Scott, who appeared in stuff like Minority Report, Collateral, and the TV series Millennium, which has a tangential connection to the X-Files universe, uh, Lauren, uh, as you're making your way through your 
your X-Files watch. Uh, there is actually a crossover episode, and I believe it's either season six or season seven, that acts as a de facto series finale for Millennium because Millennium got canceled before it could have its series finale. And uh, X-Files kind of came in and did the heavy lifting to uh, give that show a proper send-off. Oh, so, so like four years from now when I finally get there. Yeah. Um, I Other than the crossover ex, uh, episode with X-Files, I know next to nothing about Millennium. But I it, it was one of those shows that was like well-regarded at the time, but no one was watching. So didn't I last. know it's an album by the Backstreet Boys. Yes, it is. Good job, yes, Lizzie. Uh, and Paul, the husband, he is played by actor Paul uh, Adelstein. Uh, and he appeared in stuff like Intolerable Cruelty, Bedazzled, and one of the most bizarre movies I've watched in recent memory, The Menu. Still uh, have to watch it. And uh, apparently he also was with us uh, once before in Season 6, Episode 9, as a different character. Uh, that was the uh, mm. uh, delightfully titled How the Finch Stole Christmas, that episode. I uh, we learn Jerry brought in vegan brownies and cookies from his sister, which was thoughtful of him, but they do not go over well. Um, Gallant is wearing his uniform in the ER today because he was coming from a recruitment drive and everybody, you know, dumps Scott on him immediately after saying he looks so handsome and sharp in the outfit. And then uh, Susan throws a cookie out immediately after trying when she goes, this is what animal fat is for. Like, I can't say they're wrong. Yeah, and Jerry's like, no, this is my sister's hardcore. This is what you're getting. Deal with it. Like, every time I even think about going, like, vegetarian or vegan, like, that's the stuff that, like, stops me more than anything. It's not even giving up meat. It's just, like, I wouldn't be able to cook. Like, I wouldn't be able to bake with anything that tastes good. See, vegetarian I could do. Vegetarian I would do if it wasn't, like, for Lizzie and I both needing to make meals that we both can eat, and I'm not about to, like, cook two meals. Like, you know, I'm not about to sure. divvy up the grocery bill or whatever, so I just I just eat meat. But whenever I'm cooking for myself, I really, eight times out of ten, I'm not using meat anyway. Um, vegan I couldn't do because I love cheese too much, mm. and milk is too much of a good treat, and, like, half and, and half in my coffee. And eggs are in everything. And eggs Delicious. are in everything, yes. Including our so, dinner tonight. Yes. So, yeah. Could do it, won't. <laughs> right. Uh, we then see a guy, uh, a delivery guy there. There's a package for Kovach uh, that Chen signs for. Uh, this guy isn't talking, and that becomes a bit of a theme this episode. Our uh, delivery man here, Martin, uh, he is played by actor Kyle Colrider Crew, who appeared in stuff like Secretary, Primal Fear, and Hung. So we'll see more of him throughout the episode. Uh, we then hear about some uh, a smoke inhalation patient coming in. There was a space heater fire at an elementary school. That becomes important later on. Uh, then another p- trauma coming in. Diana Hayes, a 19-year-old woman with multiple stab wounds. You love to see it. Um, Abby mentions that she had to give a guy six of Ativan to calm him down from a dog bite. And Carter, uh, in the midst of this conversation, offers to let Abby stay in one of the million spare bedrooms at the mansion because uh, she's apparently not sleeping well at Luca's because there's uh, not cur- no curtains on the uh, window in the living room. So, And she's working night shift. So, uh, Susan then asks Carter if he's making any headway, and she says that she'll be in the 7 o'clock yoga class if you want to avoid me. I and- love that delivery. I love th- I love this this little chunk of Susan that we're getting here lately. Like, big big fan of that. 
Uh, Corday is working on Nelson, who uh, a man named Nelson who suffered head trauma from a candlestick. Uh, and Gallant is still fumbling around trying to find a uh, warmer for the duck eggs. Can we go over to uh, Diana's trauma? Lizzie's working on on it with Mark and Lauren. Whose films are those? And friend, her friend didn't see anything, but there's blo- there was just blood all over the sheets in her bed. Uh, Susan offers to change appointment change appointment times for Mark, presumably what we presume to be oncology. Uh, since Lizzie's in the room, and there's some awkward small talk between Lizzie and Mark as people are called into uh, the other trauma. And uh, then we go over to Carter talking to Martin at the vending machine, and Chen just says, oh, there's something not quite right about him. They kind of play a game of charades with him, and that's like the best way to describe how they communicate with him through the whole episode, trying to figure out what's going on. And we learn he hasn't eaten in two days, so that's not great. Um... And then we go over to Romano and Lizzie working on Diana's trauma. And Romano chides her for wasting time downstairs. And she, he's like, oh, are you and Mark still fighting? And I love how she's like, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, stay away from love. It does things to the brain. 100%. He's He's got to be, like, I think, unquestionably the MVP of this episode, right? Like, this, this feels like a Romano... MVP performance if I've ever yes. seen one this episode. Yeah, I will get into that, but yes. Uh, Paul asks if some Xanax will fix Joanne. Uh, I mean, Xana- <laughs> Benzos cure everything, kids. Not really. No, no, no. That's a bad idea. Uh, Mark says she has extensive liver damage, uh, but she... <clears throat> Mark says she has extensive liver damage, but she doesn't drink. Yeah, but she did have some mushrooms in an omelet that were forged from a river a few months ago that she rose but let's just let's just uh you know address the elephant in the room right here because i realize this is a woman of color but stop yourself everyone before you get to this level of white people shit like stop (laughs) yourself (laughs) put a stop to i don't care what instagram accounts you're following you know how much gwyneth paltrow podcasts you're listening to stop yourself before you get to foraged mushrooms from a river in an omelet level of white people shit Uh, because this is too far I definitely follow a TikTok slash Instagram creator of color who is also a forager, and I love her content. I would never do it because I can't trust myself to know poisonous from not, but right. like and, and her content just, is amazing. That just goes to show, though, that even our uh, brothers and sisters of color are not above falling for white people shit when the chips are down because this is like grade A USDA approved white people shit right here i have to say this is definitely co-opted white people shit like if it was the original you know groups doing it yeah 100 percent trustworthy go forage that shit if you're learning from someone who actually like grew up knowing how to do this yeah go for it but if you're learning from a white person on tiktok maybe skip it just yeah just buy your fucking mushrooms at the grocery store like a normal person jesus christ or don't because mushrooms are the devil I mean, mushrooms are They're, fine. I like mushrooms in an omelet no, now and again. They, not, it, they, it does, it's they, not my go-to. I'm, I'm okay. The, here we go, guys. This is a weird one. I, mushrooms freak me out. No, I get it. I 100 percent get it. Every <laughs> time, every time I work with mushrooms, like in a dish, I'm always freaked out by the look of them and the like. The texture is weird, and like just every part of it is unpleasant. But then once it's in the dish and it's all like yep. cooked yep. together, I'm fine. Yeah. But it's the yeah. it's and that's why I, I just don't cook with them that often. I can't think about it too much, or I like I'm like Lizzie. You need to do this. Like I'll I'm chop sorry, mushrooms. I like them so much. No, it's fine, but it's just like, 
the more I think about them when I'm, it's like when I think about meat too hard while I'm cooking, I'm like, I can't do this. They're just <laughs> horrifying, horrifying. I don't even know if I can call them plants. Fungus is weird. They're great with a steak. They're great with an eggs. They're great on pizza. They're great in pasta sauce. Uh, my my grocery well, store. My my grocery store sells a little like prepackaged thing of mushrooms and onions that's specifically like for steak. And Ooh. I love that, yeah. like, yeah. because I can just buy that, pop the top off, toss it in the pan, and we're yeah. done. No chopping yeah. involved. I don't have to yeah. like think about the mushrooms too much. Yeah. Oh, no, always I, buy the chopped mushrooms. I, I, I hundred percent get that, Lauren. I'm glad we got to discuss my fear of mushrooms on the podcast after three years. <laughs> Great, cool. Patreon. And yet I love sl- slash 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 podcast. And for yet a I love the last discussion. of us. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but anyway, this, uh, Joanne might need a liver transplant. That's the end of that. Yeah, fuck that. Let's talk about how mushrooms are scary. Uh, But then we go over to Chen working on a 20-year-old, also found stabbed at the college. Uh, The knife was found near her. Lily tells Weaver that a wall collapsed at the school fire, and they confirm how many people they can take. And we see Martin staring through the trauma doors. And as this is going on, the woman that was brought in, like, is she's a little bit intubated, like, She's not great. And she kind of pulls Carrie down and whispers to her and says, I loved her. Uh, That's not good. That can't be good, guys. Uh, But then then Lizzie sees Susan giving Mark some eye drops and gives her kind of a weird side eye as she gets a chart from Mark. And then uh, Lizzie asks Mark why there were charges on their credit card bill from New York. Hmm. And he said it was something about a conference, something like that. Yeah. But uh, Terry, Joanne's sister, comes in to get her blood tested for, potentially potentially get blood tested for uh, to see if she matches for a liver transplant. But they didn't tell her what she's coming in for. So, and she is not about this life. Like, this is apparently, would you classify this as estranged? Yeah. Or yeah. Just distant. Yeah. Distant sisters. Uh, she has a, but Terry has a Sweet 16 NCAA Women's March Madness game coming up on Thursday, so she can't really get a liver transplant. She'll be more like, more like six weeks before yeah. she'd be able to do anything like basketball. Topical yeah. though, March Madness. Yeah. And okay. the sister here, Terry, she is played by actress Megalyn Etchikenwok. I still like. God bless me for for even like I don't even I don't even know and I apologize profusely, uh, but there's just so much, so many syllables there that I am not not equipped to read. Uh, she appears in stuff like Night School, Late Night, and House of Lies. Uh, we'll see more of them throughout the episode. Both sisters here. Uh, we then uh, go back down to uh, trauma. The friend who was brought in with is this the first? The second yeah, girl. Yeah, so Shelly is the friend. She was right. brought in with Diana, the first girl. Right. Let's just let's just uh, get this out of the way now. All of the like the the patient parts of this episode are weak sauce. Like all the patients in this episode are like really underbaked and like kind of all have like oh that could be interesting to talk about. No, like there's there's a lot of like 
we're going to drop an interesting little breadcrumb and a little interesting, like, mm, maybe this would be cool to talk about. And they're not going to, spoilers, they're not going to talk about any of them. Like, they're not going to really explore any of them because the interpersonal drama that's happening between the doctors and stuff is way more interesting this episode. So, like, yeah, I was going to say, it's, this is the Mark and Lizzie show. Right. So, like, there's just stuff happening with the principal characters that's far more interesting than the patients. And so, as a result, the patients are all really weak sauce this week. And, like, this this one here, like, there's so and it feels like an unnecessary amount of intrigue to the keep adding to peppering into all these stories with these patients to really follow up on zero of them because like you know here we see the the friend staring at Renee which is uh, Diana's roommate and we learn that Diana was going to be moving out in a few weeks to live with Shelly and her friends and that she says that she didn't really know Renee very well that Renee's kind of a quiet person and they didn't seem close her and and Diana and so like you know they're they're like setting up like a little bit of like a the plot thickening here and like there's maybe gonna be some you know because like Renee's talking about loving her and then there's this conversation and there's all this stuff it seems like there's gonna be payoff to it and then there kind of just isn't and I found that strange but uh in any event speaking of storylines we're not really gonna spend that much time resolving uh Chen is talking to Martin uh, asks him why he isn't speaking since she heard his voice on the answering machine when she called his house. Uh, he then gives her his hat and then takes it back. And okay. Sure, why not? Uh, Lizzie is telling Terry about more about Joanne's condition. And like I said, like I said before, be about six weeks of recovery time. Um, and if she didn't get the liver from Terry, she'd have to be put on the UNOS list. Um, doesn't specifically use that terminology, but just, oh, yeah, she'll be put on a list for a transplant. And Terry doesn't want to do it. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I mean, about. well, I mean, let's because like I arguably when it comes to the patients, like I like I said, all the patients this week are a little underbaked. But this one is definitely, I think, the most fully baked of the patient storylines this week. Yeah. So like the moral dilemma here is like, should she feel some sort of like familial obligation to do this like what what are we where where do we land on the whole like should should she be a good like should she be an air quotes good sister and like do the thing or should she put her own like athletic accomplishments first and foremost i i'd say absolutely not we don't know what was going on in their childhood to make her resent this woman so much because they don't explore it at all right i'm just saying like (laughs) that no like based off the sheer disdain she seems to have for her sister fuck no yeah, like I, like I said, it, it seems like it presents you with this moral dilemma, but then doesn't actually give you any of the information you need to, as a viewer to make infor- an informed decision about it. So it's like, I don't know who to side to be on here. I don't know if I should, like, be on the kid's side and be like, yeah, fuck her. Like, she'll get her liver or maybe she won't. I don't know. She sucks. Or should I be on the side of the other girl that's like, give up your stupid basketball game for, uh, I don't know, a chance at living for me. Like, it's just... They, they don't really give you enough of the supporting documentation. Oh, please don't use that phrase today. Work <laughs> drama. Please, please don't. Oh, no. God. Um, no, I'm team Terry. Yes. Yeah, fuck, fuck Joanne. Uh, but the, wow. I'm, I don't know. I'm spicy, but just then, because she's a white person, just, just because she went foraging for mushrooms in a river. Lauren's like, her, you know what? Her own damn fault. Uh, but then the roach coach is crashed into and Charlie, the owner, uh, has hot water, hot boiling water spilled all over himself from like the thing he dispenses the coffee out of. And a woman calls 
for help from the car that crashed into the coach. A little boy is unconscious and wet. I vaguely remembered this storyline and was horrified when I was right that this was the one I thought it was. Yep. Um, but he fell unconscious in the bath for like two minutes and... Um, mom and a quote doctor are both there they didn't take vitals or try to resuscitate him when he was unconscious at the scene great speaking of uh storylines i'd like to eat in the sun really uh, this i mean i like i'm yeah it's upsetting but like i don't know just like every other um every other storyline in this episode i just I'm, i was not able to form much of an emotional connection to it so i was you know i didn't get much of any like good or bad feelings about it um but in any event, uh, Charlie here, the uh, guy who runs the Roach Coach, which we're told about for the first and only time this episode. Like, this is the only time that uh, the ro- whoever runs the Roach Coach becomes a on-screen character. Um, I thought maybe there was a chance he might be, like, slightly recurring and we might get, like, I don't know, four, three or four appearances out of him. But this is his one and only uh, appearance here. Uh, Charlie is played by actor Jude Cicicella? Ch- Ch- Cicicella? Help me out here, Chica, anyone? Chickachella. I'm, I'm struggling with the last names this week. Ciocella, because uh, I'm a white person. There we go. Uh, he appeared in stuff like The Terminal, Glengarry, Glenn Ross, and 24, and he's got 107 credits to his name. Uh, and then uh, also in this scene here, we get our first appearance of the little boy's father uh, here, who is one of the best Oh Hey, It's yes. That guys of, yes, yes, yes. of the 80s and 90s. Um, and... Much like every, much like a lot of people in this episode, is kind of criminally underused. Um, like, it's a, I, I didn't know that I didn't even I didn't even remember that he had ever appeared on ER. Much less, uh, you know, that he had like a significant part in an episode. But just I, I was a little disappointed to see that he was in ER and that they kind of just let him go to waste a little bit. Uh, Peter Scolari, who is uh, known for a bunch of different things, uh, some of which include the TV series New Heart, Girls, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, where he took over the uh, Rick Moranis role. Um, One of my favorite 90s movies, That Thing You Do, which has a tangential connection to the thing he was kind of originally known for, which was being, uh, to, to tie it all back into wrestling, uh, he was the Marty Jannetty to uh, Tom Hanks's Shawn Michaels. Like he was, he was Tom Hanks's tag team partner in the '80s TV series Bosom Buddies, uh, and of course Tom Hanks went on to like great heights, all time Hollywood legend superstardom. And Peter Scolari was just kind of working actor guy, and was just you know nothing wrong with it. Nothing. He had a great career, uh, very well liked, very well respected character actor. Um, and seemed to always have like a great relationship with Tom Hanks, like Tom Hanks, like that thing you do, for example, like he would always cast, uh, Peter Scolari in like small parts in stuff that he was doing or stuff that he was producing. Um, he had 109 credits to his name and unfortunately he did pass away, uh, just a couple of years ago in 2021, uh, died of leukemia, unfortunately. Uh, I'm sorry. 2021 was yesterday, (laughs) not two years ago. Well, it was like a year and a half. It's still early 2023. Wait, it's not still 2020? It's fucking me up. Then we go back to uh, Charlie. They're checking on his neck to be safe and addressing his burns. Seems like he'll be okay. Uh, The, quote, doctor advises the parents of this little boy to leave the room. She is a socialization therapist. And she starts to get a call from one of her, quote, patients, and Mark tells her to take her phone outside, like, 
don't be on the phone in here. And who's the, quote, socialization therapist, Daniel? She is played by actress Julie Cobb, who appeared in stuff like Star Trek, not TNG, the OG series back in the 60s. Uh, defending your life and just you and me, kid. Yeah, she seems like an old, uh, old school actress. Like she had a lot of credits from like sixties, seventies, early seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Ella said Dada, so the babysitter brought her over to see Lizzie and Mark because this is just so exciting. And I get, I guess we come back to that. Cool. But then the little boy, we learn about this little boy who was unconscious, he was being held underwater to recreate a, quote, womb environment to bond him to his parents more. This is why I want to eat this thing into the sun, because shit like this, alternative, quote-unquote, therapists and doctors do can do so much more harm mm. than good if you're not extraordinarily careful. Not just and physical harm in this case, but just... It's such a, so many, there's so many landmines out there that it's just like, just go see a regular licensed licensed clinical therapist. From like psychology today. Yeah. There are plenty of, there are plenty of normal, normal ass family therapists that would be more than happy to discuss family bonding issues with you. If someone tells you that drowning is part of your therapy, leave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Boy, like, oh, yeah, no, we're just going to deprive your, your kid of oxygen for two minutes. He'll be fine. Yep. Uh, then Do Charlie we, Hold Tease- on, real quick, oh. before before we uh, leave that behind. I just, I, because I had a, I had a like, weird, um, like, thought as I was watching this of, like, do we are we concerned at all that the show is painting with too broad of a brush when it comes to the socialization therapist being, because, like, we don't get any indication of whether or not this person's credentials are legit or not. Oh, and, they, no, they absolutely acknowledge that she's not a normal therapist. <laughs> like, Right. But yeah, I just made, like I, I part of me was like because I feel like the words socialization therapist are something that you might hear with a little bit more sincerity and a little bit more credibility in modern times. Maybe not so much 20 years ago. Like, yeah. I would have always heard it as behavioral therapist. Well, I don't yeah, know if I've yeah. ever, but, but yeah, um, I, I don't think so. I think the way they paint it is, um, even if they use a term that may have been common, they make it clear that this is wackadoo. Sure. No, absolutely. No. But, but I guess my, my, my question is like by painting it as this particular instance as wackadoo, is it, is there a concern that it's too broad of a brush that's painting all forms of therapy? Like that is not talk therapy. No. Right, as... no, that's. Sorry, I'm gonna stop interrupting you. No, no, no. Just I, I was done basically. But just, you, there you... are plenty of other valid forms of alternative therapy, art therapy, movement therapy, different sure, things that, but those, that don't but involve. As long drowning. as they're led by a licensed clinical social worker, which I think they make pretty clear that this woman is not licensed in that manner. Like yeah. she, oh yeah, she has a pretty good success rate. Yeah, but um. Yeah, Daniel, I I think um, I'm understanding your question, and I'm just phrasing my answer in a poor way. Um, but no, I think they do a pretty good job of illustrating that this is an exception, not the rule. Yeah, fair enough. I I, I can't brain better than that today with, with work. Um, but yeah, then 
let's take a break from them because oh my god and we go over charlie is teasing lizzie for deserting him and just be like oh you, whatever you never come see me and carrie goes well yeah you're overpriced <laughs> it's such great no. delivery by laura Innes. yep excuse me this is a dunkin donuts town apparently i guess i don't know hey they used to we used to see dunkin donuts boxes on the show all the time in the first couple seasons so it's very true uh, but Renee's mom has come in. Carrie updates her on the status of Renee. They're taking her up to the ICU. Mom was told about Diana's injuries too and that Diana died. And Eric, Carrie asks if Renee had been depressed or having trouble. And she's like, why is everyone else asking all these questions? But find out that while Diana had defensive wounds, Renee did not. So they believe her wounds were self-inflicted. And just why? That's my question. Why are we yeah. adding so many layers to this story that's going to go nowhere? Like, isn't this it? Pretty much, yeah. Like, this is the bulk of the story. Like, this is the bulk of the like the exposition that we get about this story, and they make it seem like there's gonna be like some big thing, and it basically just kind of ends up fueling Carrie's stuff later in the episode, which is fine. I'm not mad about that. But it just seems like an unreasonable amount of effort to go through to build up these stories that we're not really going to, like, resolve and we're not really going to do anything with. It just seems, I don't know, strange. It's it's definitely not the usual uh, format that we get. Um, the- but Renee's mom insists that Renee did not do the hurt her friend and she did not hurt herself. And who plays the mom here? <laughs> okay, man. Uh, Mrs. Carlson here. She is played by actress Karen Austin, who appeared in stuff like Summer Rental, The Rum Diary, and Jagged Edge. And she's those are those are movies, yeah. TV shows. I don't uh, know. The Rum Diary is a, a movie for sure. The other two, I, you know, I, it would be a fifty-fifty shot in the dark either way. Uh, we then see Mark telling the parents that Victor, at, or as Lauren has so helpfully uh, anointed him in the notes, Tub Boy. Uh, I didn't get his name until here, so he's Tub Boy. Uh, can we put Tub Boy on the shitty kids list, even though he's not shitty, just to have, no, just so that we can no. talk about? I just want to have another excuse to talk about Tub Boy. We can, the... we can, we can mention Lauren's shitty names list and put Tub Boy on that. <laughs> Tub boy. We can just start at shitty notes highlights and just tub boy, but oh, no. Oh my gosh. The shitty kid list is sacred and he will not go on it. That's fair. Uh, we learn that the social worker is on the way to talk to them. They uh, apparently adopted him in Prague last year, but they hadn't been able to connect with him emotionally yet. And it was putting strain on their marriage. White people shit. Right? That's what this episode should have yeah. been called. <laughs> Season 8, episode 17, white people shit. <laughs> All we needed was the Macarena playing in the background, and we would have been set. Oh, boy. Uh, we see then uh, Lizzie asking Jerry where Mark is. Uh, he says that uh, he's out for the hour, but Susan is covering all his patients for him. And so Lizzie has finally had enough and corners Susan to ask where Mark is and says that she knows something's going on. And uh, Susan, with one of the best like little moments, little deliveries here in this exchange with uh, Lizzie, like Elizabeth or whatever, however she says it, like what what could possibly be going on that he wouldn't want to tell you that he'd try to protect you from, and just yeah, and then slow cut it just washes slow, over just, her. Yeah, just ro- washes over her. Oh, the light, the light bulb, the the worst light bulb has turned on. Oof. And we, our next scene is uh, Lizzie. Just you, just see her stone cold getting out of the elevator 
excellent shot um going into oncology and be like i'm be like i'm here to see my i'm here to see my husband and the look on her face and the sound work here with the music over the nurse speaking is just such an excellent visualization of dissociation Mm. right just just, I mean, I know that's my notes, but still, right? No, but it's just tunnel vision on one thing. Nothing else registers. And it's just, ugh. And they make eye... And Lizzie and Mark make eye contact through the treatment room window. Ooh, that, yeah, that... As that, Mark has a... Mark is getting an IV of chemotherapy. When, when he's, like, sort of starts to wake up, or, or you know open his eyes out of uh, having closed them and they do that kind of like focus pan where they they focus pan from him over to uh to elizabeth and you just see her reflection in the window oh like just a, a, a excellent little piece of cinematography there yeah um sorry i just that that illustration of the dissociation with the music just kind of numbing out most of the nurse's words mm. just so good um but then we get another firefighter who's brought in from that school fire we mentioned earlier. Remember, that's going on, everybody. There is one kid unaccounted for when the floor above collapsed, and they're still looking for three firefighters after that, including Lopez. Dun, dun, dun. Sandy, dun, dun. no! All right, let's go to our first audio clip here. Uh, Corday's asking Mark about different treatment options for the cancer. What about gamma radiation? Didn't work. Tumor's still growing. Well, should we call Dr. Burke? I mean, maybe he I can... saw him. In New York. How much time? If this works, 10 months. You tell me. I don't know. Uh, I guess it was bad timing. I could have helped. How? Look, you shouldn't be alone right now. This doesn't change anything. Yes, it does. It changes everything. I don't expect you to come back and be my wife just because this happened. goes to the OR. Pretty sure it's nappy. What, you're going back to work? I, I don't know what else to do. I I love the line, like, oh, like, you're gonna come back and be my wife? Yeah, I mean, like, yes, I think it's uh, ultimately shitty that he, like, doesn't tell her, but I also kind of get where he's coming from of just, like, you know, it was really bad timing. Like, you know, if, if this had happened, you know, six months ago or, or if it had even happened, like, with a few months of separation from the whole, like, ecstasy situation, like, it probably would have been better and he probably would have, like, said something to her right away. But the fact mm-hmm. that it happens when it does, it's like, what's he supposed to do? You know, it's it, it, I would... <laughs> 
I don't know. Like it just, I think he's, I think he's spot on in his like assessment of the emotions involved here of just like, I don't want you to like come back and support me and be my wife now. Like strictly because I'm sick, like stuff happened, stuff, stuff still happened. Right. Yeah. So like, I don't know. I just, I get where he's coming from in this situation. Yeah. But just, <sighs> and I also like the line at the end where, where she's like, you're going back to work. And he's like, I don't know what else to do. And mm-hmm. like, which I feel like is a very, you know, relatable emotion. Like I, I have yeah. definitely been known in the past to be somebody who, who like when faced with complex emotions that I'm not ready to deal with yet, I just throw myself into work or throw myself into a just project or, you know, <laughs> case in point, this whole carry on your normal g- routine. gestures broadly at everything we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> like what is this podcast if not us uh, still working out our complex feelings about the pandemic boy uh, howdy uh, well we then go from there to chen who sees martin come out of a room uh he pulls out a scarf hat and glove and then sits down on a gurney uh jen's chen starts to put the pieces together that something may have happened to the person that knitted him the set which i feel like is an astounding leap of logic for like for how little information Chen has to go on here, it seems like a little bit of hand wavy magical writing uh, here, a where bit. she just all of a sudden is like the light bulb goes off, and she's like, "Aha! Clearly, this person had these things knitted for them, and something bad happened to them." Like, I don't part. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like the fact that this episode is written by two people, both of whom are writing their final episode, leads me to believe that this was an episode that no one wanted to write. Like, this leads me to believe that this was one of those episodes that, like, when we talked to, um, help me out here, Lauren, what was the, the, the writer's name that we oh, interviewed? Samantha. Uh, Lydia? No, Samantha. Oh, Samantha, yeah. Um, that she mentioned that there's always one episode right around this time in the season, like, right around the 17, 18 range that nobody wants to write. That is the dog of the season. That is just, like, because it's not quite time to ramp up for the end of the season yet, but you're already through the, like the heavy early uh, uh, in the year sweep stuff. So like, it's just kind of this dead zone in the middle that like, it's, it's usually a filler episode and no one wants mm-hmm. to write it. And that's kind of what this episode feels like is that we had two writers who were like getting ready to leave anyway. And so they were just like, yeah, just put it, assign it to them. And like, they wrote this like very half ass episode <laughs> where like, yeah, you know, some stuff happens and like, you know, Mark's upset about the whole tumor thing. And it, you know, it's just like, this whole episode feels very hand wavy. Like you get it. That's what this episode should be called. Yeah. Season eight, episode 17. You get it. <laughs> like, you get what's happening. White people shit parentheses. You get it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, eh. uh, but then we see Carrie working with a little boy who was found, uh, at the site of the fire rode over with a quote fire lady in the ambulance. Uh, and she asks Jerry to call over to the firehouse and confirm that all the firefighters have been accounted for. And as we all know, there can only be one woman in the entirety yes. of the Chicago fire. Well, she, she does specify, she does specify a specific firehouse, but yeah. I know, but, but, yes. but I'm just saying, <laughs> but yes, uh, we then see Carter asking Susan where Mark is, uh, and she's uh, going to help. Uh, she kind of waves him off and is like, Oh, he's busy right now. What do you need help with? And she's going to help him with a complex suture. 
and she is introduced to Dr. Carter's box of <laughs> wonders that he has tucked away in one of the closets. And these are all things I love he, this. All things that he's recovered from patients uh, and, and scoped out of them, uh, to, up to and including one of Susan's pens that she's like, "Hey, my pen," and he's like. Got that from other got end. that from the other end, and she like tosses it back in. That that felt like an early season bit right there. Like that felt like something we would have seen in the first three seasons. And uh, Lizzie's coming off the elevator. Terry's leaving without signing the liver transplant form, and she says, "Joanne's never had any time for anyone but Joanne, so she might help after the playoffs, but not now." And oh yeah, 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 yeah. Lizzie just can't hold it together anymore she goes to cry in the surgical break room and romano bursts in yelling and being himself just about things so let's listen to that <laughs> ah hiding out are you do me a favor just go down there when those idiots page you they're like crazed cyborgs paging every five minutes until they somehow manage to find your fearless leader and suck us all into their universe Oh, oh, what happened? Prince uh, Harry in rehab again? (laughs) Mark's tumor's back. Has it invaded Broca's? It's encroaching the motor cortex. Sorry. It was always a possibility. He's known about it for weeks. He just didn't tell me. Well, maybe he was protecting you. so much we haven't worked out. Oh, I don't think I can go through this again. I'm sick and tired of being the strong one. You know, we, we've broken up, we've grown apart. He doesn't even expect me to be there anyway. I mean, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just go back home to watch him die? Yes. Well, I don't think I can. Is he your husband? (sighs) Yes. Do you love him? Yes. Couple things about this. One, give Alex Kingston a fucking award for this. Two, when we say we love Romano, this is the Romano we're talking about. This is ST Romano right here. Both sides. Both sides, just his normal braggadocious self, and then, Ooh. then just the, 
the wonderful human being that's under all the layers of narcissism and pettiness and because he loves lizzie and he cares about her and he's his heart is breaking for her that she's going through this yeah exactly because she's one of the few people in this world he cares about and he and he cares about her and loves her in a in a truly selfless way that you wouldn't think he was capable of because there's a very like there's a very real like fuckboy paradox at work here of like he could have very oh, yeah. easily been like oh your husband's dying let me try to slip in there like there's a very yeah. like no seriously no, like, yeah, there's, that, I know that's I know the, that's but the just... move you would expect from that character and so like when you see and I mean good god I mean how many times can we sing Paul McCrane's praises on this fucking like not enough holy shit like exactly. I mean as much as I mean I I totally agree I co-sign everything you just said Lizzie as far as like give Alex Kingston an award. But give uh, Paul McCrane a, a separate award of equal measure for doing the exact opposite. Because while Lizzie's over there, mm-hmm. like doing full, like heaving, sobbing acting, which is fantastic, he is doing this like incredibly reserved, stoic, like somber, somber like. And, and I'm thinking about. I'm already fast forwarding to. I think it's on the beach. That episode. I can't remember if it's on the beach or the letter. It's one or the other. When he gives the speech, when he finds out that Mark passed. In, in in surgery mm-hmm. that for my money maybe it's like it's one in one a with um uh signing to reese is my favorite romano moment full stop like both of those i think are 10 out of 10 and this one is like i forgot about this like i i forgot about this particular scene and so watching yeah. it again i just have such a uh greater appreciation for paul mccrane who gets to spend who spends so much of his time on this show yelling and screaming and like being just being a a, you know like you said braggadocious asshole to see him be able to be allowed to flex a different kind of dramatic muscle and be able to like turn the volume down a little bit and remind you how good he can be in so many different ways i just uh this is the scene of the episode, I think, without question. Like this, this is yeah, absolutely. This, this is the like, this is the little cloud that is holding the Titanic up. That is this episode. Like this is, yeah. the, this is the one thing that I think keeps this episode from being like a pretty average six out of ten for me. Like this is the one scene that really like this holds is, it up. This is the band playing on. Yeah, like it is. It, it's so so good. And also, one last thing about it, just having Romano out of focus for most of the scene, just kind of having seen kind of more laying and in, leaning into like Corday, just like nothing's real, nothing is actually here and solid right in front of her now. This, uh, she's uh, just excellent, excellent scene. And I think working backwards, because part of me as I was watching this was was even more annoyed by the Benton scene from a couple episodes ago because it was like, see, you could have had Romano do this. Like, you could have had Romano be her person in this situation. And then part of me thinks that I think they were saving him for this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they didn't want to use... I, I, I don't think they wanted to burn Romano off in that moment with Benton because they knew they were going to write a moment like this where they were going to be like, no, 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 we got something better for him. So like yeah. when I think about it in that, that context, I think I I'm okay with it a little bit more because as I was watching it, I was like, see, you can totally have like Romano sub in for Benton in that scene, but it would have felt a little redundant when you got to this moment. Mm-hmm. But then we go to Adele talking to Chen about what happened with Martin and it sounds like the shock of finding his mom dead led him to be temporarily nonverbal. Uh, 
Adele then goes to talk to Victor's parents, Tub Boy, and Mark confronts the, quote, doctor about what she did. And she's like, but look, now he's calling them mommy and daddy. Okay. And, like, that was about another patient, I think. Um, But, or no, that was about how his progress had been coming. But then Victor is now awake, and the parents and this therapist are celebrating and going, oh, my God, this may have been a breakthrough day. Like, look, he's connecting with you. He's holding your hand. Oh, my God. And uh, Mark here starts to dissociate and fade a little bit as Adele tells them about it being abuse, not therapy. Halle asks if he's okay, and he excuses himself. Yeah, so this wraps up, you know, two storylines in this scene, like the the Martin storyline and the parents, and like particularly with the Martin storyline, I felt like I felt like it was the most like shrug and look at the camera kind of story. Like it was it was very like because it's just a very like throwaway line from Adele of like, yeah, I think this is what happened to him. Better luck next week. Like, which I I get. Like, there are some defenders of these dead end storylines who will say like, "Oh, they're ER doctors, and like, not all their patients matter." And I, yes, that's true to a certain degree. But when you have an entire episode filled with patients who don't matter, it becomes a little bit more jarring and a little bit more glaring. Of just like, none of these people matter. Like, I've got no attachment to any of them because like, we're just kind of like floating our way through this episode with these uh, patients. I mean, the flip side of it probably was like they were like, we don't want to put too much weight on patients because of what's going on with for Mark. sure. Yeah, and I, and I totally yeah. can understand the the impulse to want to do that. I just would argue, why do you? Why then go through all the trouble of adding all these layers to these patients that you're not going to pay off any of? And because the show has to be forty four. Yeah, minutes. and I guess that is what it is. I guess they're to, just padding at that point. Like they're just. If it was a half hour show, we wouldn't have any yeah, of this. Yeah, I, I guess but they are just padding. This is an hour long drama. Uh, but Mark passes the charts over to Carrie. She tells him that he needs to finish his things and that his shift isn't over. And he's like, yeah, I just had my first round of chemo and I feel like crap. So I'm going home. Oof. And the looks on everybody's faces when he drops that bomb, like, ugh, like they know exactly what that means and they know exactly what that means yep. for him. And it's just brutal. Uh, we then go over to Luca's where Abby is uh, glued to the dining room table uh, apartment hunting. And Luca comes in from playing, I think, basketball uh, yeah. and calls her a couch tomato. <laughs> uh, and she mentions that a girl called for him while he was out and he's going to be uh, taking her on a date to the ice capades, which she thinks is very funny. Um, and we also see in this scene that she is, you know, very casually drinking uh at this point which um i think comes up in the listener responses and it 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 was in the the larger listener response thread so like i didn't grab the entire conversation about it but basically like somebody was like oh you know luca is pretty oblivious to the fact that abby's drinking and then somebody else pointed out that he really doesn't know at this point that she's an alcoholic like she he's not really been like even though they dated, like, I don't think it ever came up that she's a recovering alcoholic. They didn't get that deep. So, like, and it's just, it's it's one of those deals where, like, it's way more uncomfortable for you as an audience member to watch than it is for the characters to live it. Because, like, he is, like, blissfully unaware, but we're sitting there watching and going, like, ugh, like, she's drinking and, like, no one's stopping her. And it's just getting worse. And it's not great. Uh, but we then uh, go back to the ambulance bay where Susan is uh, sitting uh, on the back of one of the ambulances. Carter walks out and chats with her about Mark. 
and finally puts two and two together and realizes that uh, what what was going on that night that she was taking care of him uh, and you know eats a little bit of crow there and then starts to have this playful back and forth with her and she's like you are not flirting with me right now and he says no way i'm not making that mistake again which friend energy with these two is is where it's at like let's let, let's not make the same mistake twice uh, they see Gallant leaving with an armful of baby ducks, uh, and they go over to yes. try to like, try to like sneak up, you know, get get a sneak peek of them and everything. And then while they're while they're in the middle of looking at the baby ducks, uh, he drops an egg. And this this is another one of those times where it feels like they wrote three endings to the episode, and they decided in the edit which mm-hmm. one was going to be the ending, because this could have easily ended the episode. Also, why is it like a, ch- a little minor nitpick here? They're duck eggs. Mm-hmm. They are. They're all close to hatching. So why was it just pure yolk? Why was it just pure yolk egg and? It yolk? may have been an unfertilized one. They and that was why it hadn't hatched yet. I suppose. Who knows? Um. Actually. Uh. Well, actually, you see the sex characteristics of ducks. Uh, but let's okay, go to but our those next... ducklings are very cute. I'm just gonna. Say I that. know. Ducklings are adorable. Flash, flashback to when last summer when we had a tub full of ducks in my apartment for yes. like two days. Oh yeah, that. <laughs> Were they as cute as they? They looked, looked here? exactly like these, actually. Like t- like the same color, the same size, and everything. They looked were, exactly. I like have these. to ask: Were they soft? They were extremely soft. Their feet don't feel real. Like their feet. What? Their their feet are so like tiny. And like the texture of them is imperceptible. It feels like nothing is ho- is in your hand. Like it feels like you are holding nothing. It's it, really impossible to describe. Okay. Also, baby ducklings very very loud, and they yep. poop so much and and yep. do not care about their poop. Like they fling poop no. everywhere. There was poop on yeah. our bathroom walls for weeks after that. We were like we kept finding. <laughs> Like we, every time we thought we'd cleaned it all, it would be like, oh, there's one behind the toilet, like on the wall, like that would just had been flung up there by these little bastards. Ugh. Ghost of ducklings past. Fun times. All right, let's go to our last audio clip here. Uh, Carrie is waiting out by Sandy's car. Hey. Out bar hopping. I was just lost, looking for you, and you only found my car. It was great what you did for that kid today. Part of the job, you know, the good part when the fire doesn't get you. Do you wanna, you wanna talk about it? No, I'm back at seven. Hey, you know what, you, no, oops, you can't drive. <laughs> Karen, come on. You were missing. I was worried. I'm touched. You're right. To do my favor. Come to think of it, it was a pretty cool say. Before I went to three alarms, I couldn't see my hand from. Yay! Gay! <laughs> let's go, lesbians, let's go! Oh, this is another one of those like button press memes of like depressing underdeveloped episode gay shit like at the end and like, ducklings. Yep. <laughs> gay shit and gay ducklings. Gay shit and ducklings. Another alternate episode title. Yes. There you go. 
<laughs> uh, but then to bring us back down again, Aww. let's just end on a good note, guys. Come on. Uh, instead, Lizzie comes back to the house with Ella. Uh, Rachel greets her. Uh, Lizzie asks if Rachel wants to take Ella for a minute while she goes to talk to Mark. And Rachel just goes, he's sick again, isn't he? And uh, Lizzie goes upstairs to hear him puking his brains out. And he already took Compazine an hour ago and it just hasn't helped at all. Uh, they have just a kind of a cute moment teasing about Ella saying data first because it's easier to say. Uh, he begs her to stay instead of going out for Zofran. Like he just clings to her as he's like shivering and just like like when you've had a really bad flu and you just make those involuntary like whimpering noises that's where he's at right now um and there's just a great shot as they pan back of her holding him with a washcloth on his forehead as he deals with the the waves of nausea oof and that's how we end the episode (laughs) we couldn't have ended it with ducklings or with the gaze we had to end it with this which it's a beautiful shot and it's a great scene but it's just like, oof, can we can we pick a tone here? Let's pick a lane. Yeah. Yeah, that's my that's my biggest problem with this episode is like we've been saying all along, it's just an inconsistent tonal me- uh, tonal mess. Like the the Lizzie and Mark stuff is so good. It's it's completely the glue that holds the episode together. I love it. Yeah. I Mark uh, Daniel's giving me no, a no, weird no. face. I, well, I don't know what no, that it's means. just that I I think if anything, I think. So I think my rankings go like this. I think my my number one MVP for this episode is, I think, Romano. My number two, a very close second, is Lizzie. And I think Mark is third because Mark's time to shine is coming. So, like, you know, I don't think he needs to be the, like, the, the lead. So, like, for me, personally, I think my, like, the glue that's holding it together for me is not Mark and Lizzie. It's Romano and Lizzie, I think, is the glue that's holding the episode together for me is those two. And I think Mark, the Mark and Lizzie stuff is great, but like it's, you know, to me, it's just slightly secondary to the excellence that is those two finally like really having this big emotional scene together. And it's just, you know, all of that stuff, though, those that trio is unquestionably what's really keeping this episode afloat. And Lizzie and the bald boys. (laughs) That's yet another alternate episode title. How many can we get? Um, It's also my crack ship. It's, you know, so I think overall, I feel like the episode is a seven out of 10 overall with some nine out of 10 individual scenes. But as a cohesive 42 minute episode, like it's, it just kind of falls short. It's, yeah. It's just like I said, it feels like an episode nobody wanted to write. It feels like the it feels like the assignment that got stuck in these two poor writers' laps of just like, all right, well, set up the next really depressing four episode stretch to end the season. Like, you know, here you go. Like, it's just why not? Yeah, seven out of ten is about where I land. What about you, Lauren? Yeah, no, that tracks. Okay, uh, but what what the listeners have to say about it though? Uh, Franner W says, and this episode is why I will always have one foot in the Romano stand camp. Another episode showing Luca having no understanding of addiction, or at least of the abstinence model of recovery. Is this because he has never seen Abby at her worst, so he thinks it can't have been that bad? I don't think it's willful neglect of her recovery, but I also think that despite him helping out a friend, he isn't looking at things objectively either. I honestly don't think he really gets the seriousness of her addiction until he punches Stanley Tucci in the face. And I think this is what Daniel was mentioning was we don't know if he knows. Which, yeah, and and I think, uh, I believe it was Dr. 
uh, Jed T, who Jed, uh, later yeah. it, later in that same thread of responses, thread. yeah, which. <laughs> We should just put a link to the response thread in Discord, like on the the listener response segment, like because that's sometimes that's where the best conversations happen. Is just like, you know, she she mentions you know like that. There's ne- there's not really any on screen depiction anyway up and up to this point that Luca is even remotely aware of Abby's history as an addict, and like she may not have just she may not have divulged that information to him during their course of their relationship so it's it's very possible like, and very likely i get i think at this point that he just simply doesn't know and carter like the only reason he ever found out was because they were at the same meeting right like, they were in a nobody together. may have ever known exactly uh but then at mtm says not telling your wife that your brain tumor has returned that's just messed up or, sorry that's just messed up mark even though your marriage is in serious trouble, you still have a child together. You have a terminal diagnosis. You need to tell the mother of your child. When Corday finally finds out, it's absolutely heartbreaking and great acting by Alex Kingston. She really shines in this episode. The scene between Corday and, Rom- and Romano, the scene between Corday and, Corday and Romano is just fantastic. It's probably one of the best scenes in the entire series, in my opinion. Yes. Both actors are doing an amazing job, and I love that rare opportunity to see the actual human being that is usually well hidden behind all of Romano's bullshit. The Corday-Romano relationship is complex and always interesting, and at its very best in this scene. The actor who plays Joanne, the patient who needed the liver transplant husband, used to be in prison break. And whenever I watch this episode, I keep waiting for his character to turn into the murderous psychopath he is on that show. It was really confusing to see him in a role as just an ordinary guy. No torture sessions in the bathtub. There are still lots of very disturbing patients and histories in this episode, though. I know it's ER, but still, I think it's a bit too much for just one episode. Especially with everything that is going on with Corday and Mark. And Abby drinking. Knowing what is to come in future seasons, it's just heartbreaking. There is so much going on in this episode, it's impossible to cover it all without making Lauren read forever. Hey, but I just have to add one more thing. Sandy and Carrie, I love you. That is all. I appreciate, as always, I appreciate how much y'all think of me, but we'd rather have more than less and whittle it down. I can always make Daniel read for me if need be. But with that being said, last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, I already yelled at him about how long this was originally. Uh, And we're back into the emotional vortex that is the end of Mark Green. I love the intro scene, but am I the only one who felt like this one needed twinkles? Felt like one of those more mismatched ones to date. I'm just zooming in because my eyes are like wigging out. Uh, The liver failure story is one that resonates with me to a degree. My wife and I recently watched it and I was calling the younger sister selfish and she quickly retorted, so if AJ, our son who plays college basketball, makes the NCAA tournament and you need an organ and he's a match, are you going to force him to miss the dance and give you the organ? Point taken, missus, I guess. However, I'd be understanding because it matters to me. It seemed like the big sis had no sense of the magnitude of the accomplishments. Accomplishment. You play a lot of games. Cringe. Back to Mark. That scene where he finally informs the staff that he's back in the suck always gets me. The stunned look on everyone's faces and the resigned look like they know what he's, what he's facing really hits me. I think everyone knew at that point that he wasn't going to win this battle. 
The scene with Romano and Lizzie ranks as one of Romano's finest hours. Upon rewatch with my wife, from this point until the end of season nine, you can almost see the humanity in that curmudgeonly putrid soul. Almost. But it's such a powerful moment, though some of Corday's commentary still makes no sense. We've grown apart. Lady, it's been a month. <laughs> Susan gets high honors from me this past few episodes. If I've, if I've ever got a life or death secret that I need kept under wraps, I'm calling Sherry Stringfield. Carter, of course, gets his helping of Crow. Nothing else left to say with that. And now my eyes begin to well up because the next moment we'll see on the show is one of my favorites. Mark shooting hoops one final time. And holy shit, we get uh, fucking Mackay Pfeiffer next episode. Like, Fuck! <laughs> really? Yeah, as, as if you needed an indication that the latter days are right around the corner. The latter day ER days are like next week right around the corner. We get Mackay motherfucking Pfeiffer next week. My That just broke my brain. One of those uh, benchmark moments that absolutely that's what it, just yeah. broke you. That's Lizzie. one of those little. That's one of those little yeah. nuggets that it's easy to forget about. That that Pratt's first day is Mark's last. Oy. Nice little handoff. Anyway, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. As my brain just continues to recover from the psychic damage of that. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. As always, this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash Thanatone Podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Two-week early access to any future cast and crew interviews and over 65 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, and movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Sight in the Tone Podcast on Instagram, and we are at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Sight in Tone Podcast. Also on Facebook, be sure to check out the official Sight in Tone community. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me on my Instagram, likely posting videos of my very clumsy climbing, at Lobo92345. Lizzie, can I tell them your catchphrase about the grown-up jungle gym? Sure. Uh, grown-up jungle gym, make brain chemicals, go brr, everybody go climb. <laughs> it's true, it does. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am probably also posting about climbing because this is just my personality now. <laughs> uh, I am at I am at random gamer. That's GAM three R. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again. Uh, please join us again next time. I can say words good and have a nice week. <laughs> 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 <laughs>